for joining me for the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm your host, Howie Jacobson. Hey, let's get right into today's conversation with health coach, plant-based health coach, Michelle Olander. You'll hear about her story, her journey, and uh, how she coaches. And it's quite different from the way that I coach. We, have, we come from different backgrounds, different schools, different approaches. So in the interest of giving you the broadest possible spectrum of what a health coach does and how they work, um, I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. So let's get right to it. Without further ado, Michelle Olander, welcome to the Plant Yourself podcast. Thank you, Howard. Great to be here. Yes. Yeah, so uh, let's 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 jump right in. What are, what are you up to? So I'm up to being delighted to be on, and thank you for being one of the great mentors I've had in my, for want of a better word, vegan journey and. Um, you, Sid Garza Hillman, um, and uh, Vegetarian Zen. There are a few podcasts that really were my mentors uh-huh. um, as I as I moved in this journey in 2015. Gotcha. And, so you got um, everything for for bald male Jewish podcasters. I, <laughs> apparently, apparently. Well, so there are a couple others like uh, Vegetarian Zen are two two women in San Antonio. I don't know if you know them, Vicky Velasquez and. Larissa, yeah. So they're wonderful. And they've had a their podcast has been since like 2013, I think. But I had no uh I didn't really have any people in my life that were vegan or even vegetarian. Mm-hmm. And um my my daughter in high school wanted to be vegan and was and I had to just start educating myself and I kind of turned to podcasts. And uh, so, and also Rich Roll, because I think Rich Roll is how I heard about you. I think you were on his uh, podcast at one point and I heard about you. Yeah. So wait, so you started this journey because of your high school age daughter? Yeah, partially because of her, because I was afraid of her. I didn't think she ate that many vegetables. And I was thinking, how are you going to be vegan without eating vegetables or a wide variety of them? And so, and I had always kind of, I, I loved the idea of it, but I, I didn't see myself as being able to, I just thought it was going to be too hard and too complicating for everything else in my life. So I ate mostly vegetables, but I was what I call often an excusatarian. So <laughs> I would, um, I would eat vegan vegetarian, unless there was a good excuse, like being at someone's house, being a good guest being at a holiday, you know, when it was too awkward to ask for something. But but when my daughter wanted to be, I started really trying to educate myself because I wanted to show her how to make it work. And one of the things I did, because we we do go out to eat a lot, and, and she found it very intimidating asking the wait staff, you know, how is that prepared? Or can you make me something different? And to this day, that is one of the things I help people with most is how to advocate for themselves. Mm. You know, it's not always easy. So what made your daughter want to go? It was, did I, she want to go vegetarian or vegan? Or she wanted, she, I think she didn't know how to, I think she wanted to go vegan. Um, even still to this day, it kind of goes back and forth. Um, she's now 28. She's my youngest. And, uh, 27. I can't think they change every year their ages, but she, uh, she, I think it was more mostly animal ethics for her. Uh She really just hated the idea of, you know, Charlotte's web eating, eating pigs and all those sorts of things. So I think pork was the first thing she got rid of. And I think she still never eats pork. Um, and then eggs, she was very upset about the way animals were kept. And to be honest with you, animal ethics was the last thing for me, because I think I just was closed down to it. I mean, I knew it intellectually, but I think I was very closed down until I kind of spent some time not eating animals. Uh huh. Yeah, well, it's hard. It's hard to be open to that, you know when, when you don't want to know the truth. Yeah. Yeah. And you have an entire culture that, that is, it's a, it's a loaded word, but is complicit in it. And, and, and perhaps there are very important reasons why it was our culture for many, many 
years. But for me, where the way I live now, I don't, I don't need to um, engage with it at all. So it was, it was the, the family dynamic. There's you and your daughter. Were there other people involved in this? Yeah. Yeah. It was a bit of, it could be a bit of an upheaval. So I think, uh, I think most of us were supportive the way we knew how to be. Um, I think even I sometimes was like, oh my gosh, do I have to make some of the vegetables with no butter in them? Um, Even though I was trying to be very supportive, I think occasionally I was a little bit like, oh, (laughs) you know, Um, uh, so, but, and I don't think any, mm, I think, you know, what always happens when people start, start choosing not to eat animal products is you are shown or any, any potential hypocrisy or double standard you might possibly be engaging in. It becomes the red flag for people around you, right? Like, oh, are you going to throw out all your leather shoes? Oh, you're getting rid of the couch or the, the car. Are you getting, you know, so you have to be 100% um, compliant or, or uh, not compliant, consistent. And uh, of course you don't. You don't have to be 100% consistent. And that's, that's my message always with Fed Your Best is because if we are asking everybody to start at 100%, we're not going to go very far towards opening up our minds and taking good care of our health, taking good care of the earth. Yeah, I just I just saw I haven't clicked the link yet, but uh, Brian Capeman, who's the founder of the Reducitarian Project, apparently did some research with folks and got it published about the effectiveness of ad campaigns asking people to go 100% to eliminate animal products versus asking them to reduce. And no surprise, asking people to reduce had a much higher hit rate. Of course. Of course. Yeah, because it's just too much. I mean, you have if if you've been eating a certain way for 30, 40, 50 years, you know, you've you know how it works. You know how to pack for a picnic. You know how to you know, travel, you know how, you know where the food goes in the fridge, you know how to cook a quick meal. One of my friends was saying, I could give up everything except for eggs because I eat an omelet about four or five times a week and I can make it pregnant, asleep, (laughs) sick. I can make it no matter what, I can make an omelet for myself. And so, you know, that's that level of comfort is not, um, it's not to be scoffed at. It's really, it's just, you can't, if you think that you have to go 100%, then that's going to be just too intimidating for most people. Obviously, we all know someone who saw, read something, saw something, and just changed overnight. But we, unfortunately, too many of us compare ourselves to those people, I think, and then think, oh, well, it's just not good for me. It's Right. We see the same thing in sort of, you know, the spiritual world where you'd read about, you know, Eckhart Tolle, who all of a sudden on a park bench has a revelation and becomes enlightened or, you know, Byron Katie at the on the floor of her rehab center, suddenly having her ego fall away. And you're like, we're like walking around, like waiting for the spiritual piano to fall on our heads, too, instead of like, you know, doing crappy meditation twice a day for 20 minutes. Right. But I think even those people probably have been laying some groundwork along the way, you know? So, I mean, right. it's not well, all yeah. two, two years on a park bench, uh, suicidal, like, you know, that, that's some dues. That's some groundwork. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I think I would recommend any other way than that, but you know, whatever works. Right. Well, that's so, another thing. We all have our journeys on these things. And I think sometimes we, we, we judge ourselves so harshly. I know, I know we judge each other harshly. Um, that's very clear. But I think we often are horrible to ourselves. And we really have just tremendous um, unloving thoughts about ourselves. And that's, that's um, it's hard to improve when you are always judging yourself. Mm. Well, there's, there's sort of a recurring debate in the, um, I want to say, sort of disordered eating community and recovery from disordered eating about veganism as uh, orthorexy, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, these women um, start eating meat again, and then they talk about now I'm loving myself. And this mm-hmm. idea of veganism is, and, and there, you know, there certainly is something about, so if, if you have a terrible relationship with yourself already, and you th- you're going to try to overcome your sins through purity. 
Like, yes, you know, you could see like, you know, veganism isn't the cause, but it becomes another tool for self-flagellation. Exactly. Something else to whip you yourself with. Absolutely right. And uh, this and this idea, like, you know, I, I don't scoff at the concept of, of restrictive eating. I know that that is a real thing for people. Um, I don't think that I have I have gotten pushback sometimes that veganism is itself restrictive. And I, I one of the things I do on Instagram is I usually um, just post my lunches because I eat much more food than I ever did when I was not vegan. I eat a wider variety. I eat very filling, large heaping plates of food, of plant-based whole food. And um, so I tried, that's my, my argument about restriction. Um, I always restricted because I, there were whole categories of foods I didn't eat. I didn't eat awful. I didn't eat, you know, innards. I didn't, you know, there's always things we all restrict in my opinion. And some of them are culturally very acceptable and others are culturally kind of weird and not eating eggs and dairy and meat is kind of weird still for most of us. Right. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and like I restrict, like I don't, you know, eat dirt or snort cocaine or there's lots of things, you know, exactly either gross or, or dangerous that uh, you know, right. we, we all draw some lines. Right. No, absolutely. And it's, and I think sometimes people are very, um, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not well-versed. I, I did go to Smith college, which should have given me some level of, of insight into disordered eating because a great number of us <laughs> had disordered eating at, at, uh, at Smith when I was there, I'm sure they've conquered that by now. Um, but the, the concept of restrictive can be for some people in and of itself, a trigger thought. Um, and I don't know enough about it and I'm not a therapist. And so I stay away from it in terms of any kind of psychotherapy, but I do try to push back on it from a point of conversation. Mm. Can I ask you about the Smith college and disorder? Sure. I'm, I'm curious about that. So that, that, that was an all women's school. I guess it, it still, still is. is. It still is. Um, and it's, yeah. part, it's part of like the five, right? Holyoke and the seven sisters, seven sisters. Seven sisters. Yeah. Okay. So what, like, um, I'm guessing you went there sort of like eighties. Yep. I graduated in 1983. Okay. So like, what was the impetus for, for the disordered eating? What was, the, what you was know, the I actually there? don't know. I just think when you have a large number of women all living together, you just, uh, it, it just comes up. It probably happened at UMass, which was co-ed and down the road about five miles. Um, but I just, a lot of us remember, remember a lot of our, our peers with, uh, disordered eating. And some of them, um, have, I, one of my sweet mates has, um, been a very vocal, um, champion of, of recovery from eating disorder. Um, uh-huh. so it's a very, it, 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 we, we certainly saw at Smith and I'm, I'm now I'm painting Smith terribly. They're, um, they're all going to be furious with me because my closest friends are all from my days at Smith to this day. Well, some of the best people I know. <laughs> I mean, let's, I mean, I'm, you know, so I want to talk about this. Like I, you know, I went to a college too, where, and it, you know, it was co-ed, but I guess it's the idea that you got to be thin in order to be worthwhile and attractive. And at the same time, you're often in an institution where for many people, for the first time, you can eat ad libitum yeah. and there's incredible food and lots of variety and, you know, for, for us, it was like free ice cream and free Coca-Cola mm. dispensers at every meal. All of a sudden, any sort of uh, limitations were, were restricted, you know, um, mm-hmm. access lifted. restrictions were lifted. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was athletic and I was a guy, so it didn't, you know, it didn't bother me that much. But I'm, I'm sure I was extremely clueless about the, the bulimia and the struggles that a lot of the, the women in, uh, in my classes were going through. Well, I certainly think the the social pressures of being, of preferring to be thin are certainly an issue. I also think it's very much a control behavior that young people often choose when um, the rest of their life feels a little chaotic, a little stressful, a little upsetting. And, um, you know, young women being away from home, some of them, and also a number of my friends had gone to 
girls um, secondary schools. So girls secondary school followed by a women's college was maybe a little bit. It's not something I would suggest to people to do all your education in a, in a, in a single sex um, type of venue. But I think, um, I think it was not just social um, appearance driven. I think it was very much for many people, uh, a control issue. Hmm. All right. Well, let's, let's, let's uh, fast forward to, so you started getting, started researching um, veganism on behalf of your daughter to make sure she had a healthy balanced diet. What did you first discover that surprised you? Um, One of the things that surprised me was how many people were athletes and ultra athletes that were fueling themselves with a plant-based vegan diet. That really surprised me. Um, And so in, in a way, not being my daughter, my daughter was a squash player. She was, she was athletic, um, not division one or anything like this, but she was a a very active um, athlete. So this kind of gave me some sense, well, I'm not doing her any harm by helping her move in this direction. Mm -hmm. Um, And so so that was a big surprise to me, how many athletes. And this, that way. this would have been like around 2008, 2009, you were doing this? Probably work? 2009, 2010. Okay. So that was like a year and a half before Forks Over Knives came out and exploded. What, where were you going for information? And how, how did you know what to trust and what not to trust? Because it was so kind of I, out there. Yeah, I didn't know what to trust. And so with her, it was more of just trying to... Um, look things up, ask good questions. I was fairly confident. Well, I, to be honest, I think I was fairly confident that she would continue to eat some animal proteins. And so I was going to just help her make really good choices for beans and vegetables and fruits and that sort of thing so that she would be getting a lot there. I wasn't really convinced she was going to completely um, take that category out. So I guess I wasn't super, super worried. But as I um, as I learned how many people were were able to fuel tremendous, <laughs> tremendous feats on a plant based diet, it um, that then I started feeling like, well, certainly I, a middle aged lady can move in this direction. I will not I'm not going through uh, the coast of uh, Hawaii or Big Sur or not even a not even a 5K. <laughs> Uh-huh. So this was, um, I guess, this Rich Roll was just getting started at that point. Or, or... Yeah. So that, so I found Rich Roll and you guys more a little bit closer to 2014, I think it was. Um, and that's when um, I started moving. And that, that's when I became a full-fledged excusitarian, where I really only was eating animal products when it was just too awkward at the time in my life. I just felt too awkward to say no. And I did feel like it was a pain for my husband because um, he, uh, you know, he'd, he'd want to go out to eat and we'd go to a place and then it was hard for him to enjoy his meal. If all they brought me was like, you know, what he would call a hostile salad (laughs) (laughs) or like, like a children's ST. T-E-L or I-L-E? No, either way, I suppose, but hostile, you know, as in just like, okay, here's a salad with no cheese, eggs, or fish on it. Uh-huh. Um, so, but then in 2015, my dad died suddenly. And so all that kind of groundwork um, really became uh, more more, not just relevant, but like more, more visceral for me mm. from, and that was the health point of it. I was in my fifties. My husband is basically just a little bit older than I am. And my husband had been told by his physician, in spite of the fact that he was thin and a runner, that his cholesterol was high and needed to be medicated and he needed, and his, and his blood pressure was high. And in my level of distraught, you know, being distraught about my dad's sudden death, I was like, I really want you to experiment for six or eight weeks, just being vegan for the day. Nighttime, you eat whatever you want. But for about six weeks, do that. Let's see if it makes any change at all in those two numbers, your blood pressure and your cholesterol. 
And six, eight weeks later, I can't remember the details of it exactly. He didn't need medication. In fact, his doctor forgot that he'd even told him that he needed to consider it being medicated. And I've heard that story from many other people that um, the doctors tell them something, the numbers go down and they're like, well, why would I tell you to take, (laughs) it's like a lack of belief that it could make any difference. Uh Uh-huh. And was your husband happy about this or? Uh, I think, I think he was so, um, I think he was, I think he was so uh, mad that his doc was telling him to do this when his doc was way more out of shape than he was. (laughs) So I think he wanted to kind of do something different. And my husband is a, a very healthy eater, but he ate, um, he ate meat and eggs and cheese and everything probably twice a day. So, so what, it made a huge difference. So it was in 2015 following your father's death that you dropped the excusitarian? Yes. And then to, and to accompany my husband, I just became vegan. And that's been 100% basically. Um, mm-hmm. in, in terms of diet, my, in terms of lifestyle veganism, that has, that's been more ongoing, you know, trying to find substitutes for things. And it's also complicated because so many of the things that are, um, well, clothing and things like this. I'm not sure I'm happy with the way they're manufactured mm-hmm. either, but they're not animals at least, but I'm not sure they're good for the people who are making them or living near them. And so right. th- that's, yeah, I, that's the idea of a hundred percent is difficult. Yeah. I have problems with that too around, especially around weather gear and being outdoors in nature and camping. And, you know, I'm, I'm you know, I've got this great, uh, jacket that's made out of um, you know recycled coke bottles and apparently every time it goes into the wash it releases microplastics yeah or water supply and yeah yeah there's no uh, there's no such thing as perfect on this planet huh yeah no i'm try- i just try to take really good care of the stuff that i have already uh, been complicit in murdering i guess is the only way to look at it and to try to just appreciate what it is and take good care of it make it last as long as possible but um so but anyway that with that period of time my husband continues to this day he will eat primarily fish but he has you know permission to eat whatever he wants for dinner obviously but he is always vegan during the day um and that's um and he's very uh what's the word incredibly supportive of me and of other people. And he always pushes back if he's anywhere and people are not making vegan um, offerings available to people. He's like, well, I can't come here because I have vegan friends and a vegan wife. So, uh, you know, either, either create something for us or, you know, business elsewhere. Mm. So you said the animal ethics was sort of the last thing uh, for you so how do, how do you, in your mind, how do you deal with mm. being an ethical vegan and and loving a husband who sometimes eats animals? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I was someone who ate animals for 50 plus years. So um, I think everybody has to come to all these things on their own. And I know it's an issue for some people. He's very um, supportive of me. Um, I, as a long, almost married 40 years, I've, I'm trying to be supportive of him and, and respect the fact that he's on his journey. I do understand that there are people who are, um, that there's a moral equivalence that is unacceptable, you know, that this is like murder, it's like genocide it's like any number of other things um there's been some um kind of inflammatory statements about genocide recently in the vegan community which was kind of upsetting um i think that um it's it's respecting other people to come to the come to their conclusions the way they need to come to them and staying in my lane i eat the way i eat mm-hmm. Gotcha. So you are a, a life coach. I am a life coach. And you have a, uh, a podcast. Yeah, I have a uh, called Veg Your Best. Veg Your Best. Right. So what, what was your transition from, from amateur to professional vegan? <laughs> well, the transition was after I became vegan. So I had always been a, 
kind of, if, if you had asked my religion, I would have tried to say what the Dalai Lama says is kindness. And the other thing I would have said is I'm kind of a practicing stoic, capital S. My mother was a stoic, lowercase s. Um, so it, so we, we went round and round in those, in those, in those ideas. But stoic, you define that for us. What that so mean? the lowercase stoic being someone who is very controlled and very phlegmatic, very, um, you know, basically just a very controlled, some would say cold, but not, not, up, not all over the place emotionally. The uppercase stoic, someone who reads and listens to the, 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 tries to live by the philosophy exemplified by certain Stoic philosophers like Marcus Aurelius, like Zeno, like Epictetus, like uh, Seneca, um, who are all a bunch of old dead white men from from long time ago. But there are more modern Stoics. And um, but the concept of Stoicism being that we tell ourselves we have external things in the world. There are circumstances and those are neutral. What we have are thoughts about those circumstances. And those are where we have, that's where our emotions come from, is we see pain in the world, some pain we see, some, some illness, some death that exists in the world. But some of, some of it we look at and we go, wow, I guess that's just how it is. And some of it we are shocked, outraged, and deeply moved by because that's how humans are. We tell ourselves certain stories and some of them really hit home and we're very emotional about and some we're very uncaring about. Um, so this was always a, a very influential concept for me in terms of managing my emotions, managing my thoughts. But around the time of becoming vegan, I was exposed to... Um, a certain a life coach teacher, Brooke Castillo, who taught a very stoic centric way of examining your thoughts called the model, which was also very similar to the cognitive behavioral therapy model, the idea of thought, feelings, actions, create the results, create our results in our own lives. And I was very, um, I found it such a helpful way of looking at things that um, I just wanted to know more and more about it. And I went in for training in it, never thinking I would be a coach just because I wanted more training in it to know all about it. And then when I got certified, I was like, well, that's the thing I would love more people because I think it's our thoughts that make going vegan, going plant-based so difficult because it's really not that hard once you do it, in my opinion. I always say that... um, I thought being vegan was impossible until I went vegan. And now it was just, it was just the thought that made it impossible for me. Mm. I'm going to jot that down. It sounds like it might be a good title for the episode. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I like to do that. Put, put it in quotes up at the top when I'm writing this. Right. I thought going vegan was impossible until I did it. Yeah. And basically, once I stopped thinking this is impossible, it was all then it's all solution. And it's like, oh, well, if it were possible, and also, again, listening to so many people on podcasts, so many of the people you brought into, into my awareness, so many people, Sid Garza Hellman would talk about, um, it, 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 it normalized it to such a point. It was like, well, all these people are able to do it. I'm sure they all have to figure out certain things, certain negotiate and, and navigate certain uh, personal issues and lifestyle issues and shopping issues and sourcing issues. If they can do it. I guess I can learn how to do it. Yeah. So I'm curious, cause you've been one of the, uh, one of my podcast audience who has been most interactive with me, writing to me when you like a show writing, when you think I missed something or, <laughs> or got it wrong. Who, I, I'm curious. <laughs> I appreciate both. Um, okay. I'm curious which of the, you know, if there are any particular guests that you heard mm. online or anything particular that Sid has said that kind of really made an impact on you. I'm, I'm asking partly just for myself to hear like, you know, what, like the, the pebble landing, you know, miles, miles down in the well. 
So that's a good question. And I probably would have an answer if I prepared, because I can't really say there, you had have, have had such a wide variety of people on 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 um, on your show. And I really have listened to, I think, every episode. So they're really um, I think one of the, the first thing I would say is you had such a wide variety of people on that made me. um see, it didn't have to be one way. Not all the people that you speak with mm. come at the, come at the issue from the same direction. And some people were um, not necessarily a hundred percent vegan. Most, most people were um, moving in that direction. So I wish I had a good answer for you and I could prepare one to add into the show notes <laughs> for you. Cause I feel bad that there probably was one that was exceptionally important um, and I just can't think it off the top of my head. I know with Sid, I always quote his um, MOTT most of the time, mm. um, Mott, that his his idea of not being militant. Um, but it's all. But on Sid's show, it's easier because it's almost always only him talking. Yeah. So I hear him always saying things. Right, right. Sid just sent me his his new book. I don't know if you've seen. Yeah, it. I'm going to interview him for my podcast this week for six oh, truths. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm really excited to do that. Cool. You'll tenderize them for me. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you, you studied and you got certified through uh, Brooke Castillo. So like, yeah. The life coach school, which is, that's the funniest name for a coaching certification, but the life coach school.com. Um, I think they do a wonderful job. It's a lot of hours, a lot of classes, um, a lot of ongoing training afterwards. And I've been very impressed. And for me, it's made a lot of difference in terms of, um, for example, just this, this weekend, I was in hospital for 24 hours with a, with a, the most banal looking injury. I had a, um, a, uh, infection on my thumb. And suddenly in the morning I woke up and there were streaks going all the way up my arm to, to my upper arm. And uh, so I had a big bacterial infection and, and in hospital, it was a good example. And I was missing Easter, which was the first time I was going to be together with my family for months since my grandson and um, my kids and their partners because of the pandemic, I haven't seen them all together since I think October. Mm. So I was really, and we are vaccinated now. So I was really, really looking forward to being with them. And of course I spent, Easter in, in a hospital. And I found it was such a great example for me to use all my skills <laughs> of looking for what's perfect, telling myself a story that I would probably be dead with that kind of a bacterial infection in another time, in another place. And um, I found it very helpful. So I have a very lucky life, but every once in a while, these things tend to um, make me more humble and compassionate when I have a little run in with mortality. Hmm, nice. Yeah. I have a trick, which is whenever I feel really shitty, I just, I just watch a show about pirates. And I think like, thank God we have anesthesia and that. Yep. Dental care. <laughs> yeah. Did you ever watch black sail? No. No, that was, I think, I don't know if it was on one, I don't know if it was K, um, uh, HBO, but Black Sail is a pirate show um, quite recently. And one of my closest friends from Smith is the uh, special effects um, post-production uh, producer oh, for that show. Yeah. yeah, just, just those sail. scenes of like, you know, they've got to cut off the gangrenous leg and you need four giant sailors to hold them down. And there's like a leather strap in their mouth and they're, and they're flashing brandy. Rum, and rum down. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we've got, you know, we've got climate change and, and racism and genocide and the world's shitty, but at least we've, right. we've made some progress. Right. Right. And I think, and maybe, maybe this is, um, you know, this is, it it was ever thus, right? So if we just some of us, most of us in in podcast land at least, have a lot more time and comfort to um, that they don't need to be so busy with survival every day that they can get focused on some of these things that always existed, these um, areas of outrage 
Mm. And I am perfectly capable of being hijacked by outrage. And I don't like it in my life. I don't find it helpful in my life. I found the last, uh, you know, four years or so of, of politics, just, I didn't, I didn't want to be there in terms of my, I I didn't think it brought the best out of me. (laughs) What I'm trying to say. (laughs) And so, and I, it was, and so during this period of time was also when I was getting certified in life coaching and I, I found it helpful also that it's important for me to double down on what is in my control, what I can do, how I model my life, how I interact with the people I do interact with, because I can't do too, too much except for voting days and some fundraising. I can't do too, too much for the larger scheme of the world. So, yeah, I found myself having more and more podcasts with Glenn Murphy um, around, you know, how not to be an asshole, how, how not to be reactive, how, how to contribute to positivity and solutions and love rather than keep stirring the, the hatred pot. Yeah, because it really hurt. It doesn't hurt them. You know, I, you, you, think, you think that level of outrage could really hurt that person or those people. But and it's only you being poisoned all the time. And it really it, I found it. In, I, I haven't watched TV in a, quite a long time. And I certainly haven't watched the news because I don't find that <clears throat> a helpful way of getting educated about world politics to have something repeated in a loop and a, a column on the side of the TV that has the list of who's dead and who's, you know, how someone's voted. I, just, I like to get it in written form. I find it a little more neutral mm. and, um, but. Yeah. So I'm curious about the, uh, the coaching that you do. Mm-hmm. Um, so is, is it, is it largely sort of what I could, I understand it as sort of a cognitive behavioral model? Well, kind of, I've mostly, it's extremely close listening to hear what people feel typically stuck about in whatever category that is, and to try to reflect back where the story is that is getting in the way of the results that they want. And very often we, um, I know for me, we always have a story that we are either the victim or the hero in very often the people I talk to are, feel very victimized. They have a very victimy story. And by closely listening, people, I can reflect back where someone may be actually creating that victim story in their own lives. Mm-hmm. And um, very often t- concepts about food People feel very, I'm sure you've, you've, you know better than I, people feel very um, without, without choice. They feel that they're compelled to eat certain things. They feel that they're sabotaged by other people. They feel that, um, that if, they, if it weren't good for them, they wouldn't crave it, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> which I always love because... I, no, nothing I've ever craved has been good for me. I don't yeah. think. <laughs> so I'm sure some people crave oranges and, you know, lettuce, I, but not yet. I don't. <laughs> but so, um, but so that, and so most of the people I, but, but that said, most of the people I coach um, are not trying to lose weight or things like that. Most of them are trying to get some sort of traction in an area of their lives and I don't, my, my podcast is aimed at people encouraging them to eat more plants and set big goals. That's usually what we talk about, but I am not interested in selling people on veganism or plant-based eating. I, I feel like that there are plenty of people to do that. Mm-hmm. Plenty of people with greater access to science and research and more up-to-date research and ongoing research. I leave it to them. For me, everybody knows that's the way I eat myself. And that's the way I think is best for most people, but people do their own, their own research for that. Your your, uh, coaching practice is sort of just people who 
want more out of life or want to stop self-sabotaging. Right. And quite a number of people who are vegan or plant-based or vegetarian and have um, goals that they're working on. A bunch of people with, uh, you know, it's a very, um, it's a community with a lot of great ideas for side gigs and micro businesses. Mm. People, I think a lot of people really see um, where they can make a small difference in um, sustainable uh, products and helping people eat in a different way. So there's a lot of creativity in that community. And I've been, my husband and I had an, have still an advertising agency that we started in the eighties. We um, it doesn't need me to focus on it at all anymore. And um, so I can bring some level of uh, business experience and um Mm-hmm. A challenge for people as they as they start talking these ideas. So a lot of my people actually do have small businesses that they're starting. It's hmm. exciting. You have, you have any? Uh, I know you've you know you've got your um, confidentiality, but are there any stories you can share? Of uh, sure. Well, one person who's talked about it in public, so I guess I can share is in vegetarian Zen. Um, uh, they are vegetarian. Vicky and Larissa they run that that podcast, and I have. They've both spoken on their podcast that I have coached both of them, one on um, how she's going to handle the podcast and Larissa on a um, sustainable upcycling art business where she does subscription boxes of vintage items for people who do junk journaling. So cheery bird, cheery bird vintage. I'll give you the link. (laughs) She's done very, very well because it was a great pivot for the pandemic period because they do uh, like estate sales and things like that, but she couldn't go to anything like that during the most of 2020. Uh So I want to ask you something um, that I've been wrestling with, and I think I'm coming around on the other side of it. Mm -hmm. So around, so, you know, I've wanted to be an influencer, right? Obviously I have a podcast. I talk a lot. I have a YouTube channel and I'm, passionate and I want people to, you know, I want to help people with my expertise and I want some of them to pay for it. Mm -hmm. And with, since the advent of social media, and I was doing this since 2003, you know, I was doing it as an online marketer, helping small businesses until about 2012 when, uh, when I, Colin Campbell offered me the opportunity to pivot into the health field. Um, but you know, and, and that was kind of before social media was really that important. It was, mm-hmm. you know, advertising, AdWords, email, conferences, um, speaking gigs, things like that. What I found is there's something about being an influencer on social media that can really bring out the worst in us. That just mm-hmm. all the algorithms, in the same way we see Facebook and Twitter and Instagram turning people into nuts right like Mm -hmm. there's something about trying to promote my views in this really crowded marketplace that kind of wants me to become more and more extreme more and more polarizing more and more shocking Mm -hmm. um and you have all these people who are like you know vegans who want to um you know share their ideas spread their businesses do you find that you have thoughts about ways to save, you know, to maintain our souls and our integrity because there's there's something very compelling and dangerous about the waters that we want to jump into. So I'm not, I'm not certain I know what you mean. What, what, where do you feel like you are being compromised or, or tempted to compromise? Well, so it came, it hit home to me when I saw how many people in the vegan community were QAnon adjacent, were anti-vaxxers, were COVID denialists, were Mm -hmm. Mm anti-maskers. And and I saw the same thing in the yoga community. And it Mm -hmm. it really shocked me at first. And then Mm -hmm. I started looking at the phenomenon. And we've seen for a while, like there is in this need to differentiate ourselves, in this need Mm -hmm. to stay relevant, that there is like the more um, controversial I am, the more people pay attention to me. Mm-hmm. And so I could see you, you can see how if that, you know, that's the, the AI algorithm of Facebook, of YouTube, of Twitter, of, of Instagram, not so much LinkedIn, but a little bit. 
Um, I haven't tried TikTok. Um, I don't have time for Clubhouse. But in general, all of these platforms are advertiser supported, which means that they make money on engagement. And the mm -hmm. easiest way to get engagement is to piss somebody off or to get mm -hmm. them to become part of your tribe against some other tribe. Like mm -hmm. all the things you were talking about, like not wanting to be part of. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I see the medium itself um, prioritizing and privileging those kinds of behaviors. So you have people who would otherwise be reason, you know, they're sort of alternative, they're on the, the fringes, but now they flipped over into, into full on insanity. Mm. And I don't believe that I'm any better or, or more protected from that than anyone else. So I pulled way back. Mm hmm. I have to say, I do see that out there. It's just not for me. And it's just another example of me not worrying about that. You know, I mean, I find Facebook a much rougher uh, playground than Instagram. I get, I, I get some hate <laughs> on Facebook, but, um, and I don't know the, I don't know all the I have had I have been followed on Instagram by people who then I see their stuff come up and I'm not comfortable with it and I unfollow or block them. Um, things like anti-vax and um, I can't remember. There was one recently. I, it was just seems so. I'm trying to remember what it was. Just anything that's really hate forward, basically, is the only way I can look at it is just intolerant. I don't, I don't need that. I'm sure it does work. I'm sure it works. I mean, in terms of marketing, if you are, the more specific your niche is, the clearer you are, you're going to find those people now that we have access to hundreds of millions of people. So um, through, through one platform. So I'm sure it works for um, these extreme people. I also don't know who's real on Instagram or Facebook. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I really don't know. I don't know if they're Ukrainian bots. I don't know if they're American um, bots. I don't know, you know? Mm. So it's, uh, so I, I try not to get too worked up about it and maybe I should, maybe, maybe I will rethink the entire thing, but I, I'm a bit of a Pollyanna. So <laughs> well, it's working for you so far. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe there's a big reckoning coming. Who knows? So um, before before we close, um, I'm curious. So can you sort of guide our listeners hmm. through if they have something that they want to work on? Like, you know, if uh, like give us a little like, you know, Costco sample of your coaching. Yeah, well, basically, the, the, the whole basic process is to really look at the way your thoughts, the story you tell in your head is showing up in your life. And we very often want to think, no, what's showing up in my life is my partner, the president, my school board, my, you know, the COVID. But what's really showing up is the way you, in your life is the way you're showing up to all those events, all those externals. That's what I teach. And so if you, if anything about that resonates with you, Listen to my podcast, Veg Your Best. We talk about it every week, the idea of how thoughts create our feelings. Our feelings fuel the actions, the way we show up or the way we don't show up, the way we um, resist, react, run away. Um, and then that those actions create our results, what happens in our lives, how we feel in our lives. We so often like slow down when you say the, the name of the podcast so people can find it. Oh, veg your best. And veg is spelled uh, the way hedge is V E D G E veg your best. Gotcha. And, and it's about vegetarian and veganism, but it's all, but it's it the higher, it's, the, the, the model is this coaching model. Yeah. It's, it's basically talk. about how we take a different subject each, each uh, week. It's every week's, I think we're on 31 or 32 right now. And we, um, nothing compared to you, Howard, <laughs> but uh, we take a, a different you subject in each week in terms of numbers. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's been nice. And it's a way of, um, I, I work one-on-one -on -one with clients, but this is a way for me to expose anybody 
to the way we work with the model and to a, um, to a, a community that typically is um, vegan sensitive or vegan adjacent or moving in that direction. Um, and we often think that we need to do so much to change, to change the way we eat. But the way I teach it is we need to just think differently. It's so much simpler if we look at where our thoughts are making things harder for us. And then the actions can be so much simpler. So how does that work in terms of like, for me, Mm -hmm. very few of my thoughts are volitional, right? Like Stoicism is very sort of Buddhist adjacent in terms Mm -hmm. of, right? And Buddhism is kind of about you know, don't believe your thoughts, don't listen to them. So I can sort of sit back like, you know, Stephen Hayes and act and, and kind of observe my thoughts mm-hmm. in, rather than seeing the world through them. But I don't, I don't really get to choose very often which thoughts I believe. And in fact, when mm-hmm. I've tried, when I've tried to impose thoughts on my real ones, it often mm-hmm. feels like Phony affirmation. Phony, right. It's not about like, yeah, because that that's, so I think very often the first, if you have a thought that um, like, for example, okay. So I was being coached the other day because I was, um, I was having some drama about the price I charge my clients. And I was thinking, well, I don't have this problem with my business, the family, our our agency. I don't have this problem when I rent out a house. Why do I have a problem about this? So this idea of just noticing, because I was thinking, no, it feels feels weird for me to to coach people and charge them for helping them with their projects. Was the drama from people saying, how dare you charge me? Or it was all, all in your head? All in my head. Okay. All in my head. Because honestly, people can say whatever they want. I, I mean, you know, when I rent, when I rent our, 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 our um, rental house, people can say, how dare you charge me for this house? And I'm like, well, I, I'm not, I'm not sucked in, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but sometimes, but sometimes if I'm thinking, oh, is that going to be too much to charge? But on the other hand, you know, as you are, you're creating a, a tremendous uh, um, space for an individual to really examine what they want to do. And, um, and they can't get that everywhere. And if they don't want to work with me, they don't have to, and they don't have to pay for pay for me. But that was a kind of a something I had to kind of um, really, so it wasn't just like saying, Oh, no, I should, I can charge whatever I want. So you don't go from, you know, zero to 100, you go, just noticing I have a thought about charging my clients. So just that space of noticing, no, it's, it's not that there's a truth mm. that there's a certain price for your coaching or for my coaching or for my coach's coaching. There's no, there's no, there's no, no truth there. There's just a decision and to just keep. And so everything is like this in terms of um, relationships, as you asked, is, do I have discomfort with my, um, my spouse still eating animal products? So there's no one truth about it. It's just a decision. And, and, you, and I could keep telling myself, no, he should be different. No, mm-hmm. he should be different. But he isn't different. Mm-hmm. So is it that once you recognize that this is a thought. Mm-hmm. And not a truth. And not a truth that you can, you have some space from. Yeah, it's just a little wiggle room that you can have like that space. You can have both thoughts at the same time, I think. You, and, and in fact, I think that is very, um, that's preferable to realize that the human experience is that we make, um, this is what's brilliant about our brains, is we come up with narratives. These help us make, make decisions. They, these, these stories help us um, analyze things and draw, uh, um, make plans for the future based on these stories we've had. And some of some of the times our instincts, our stories are very, very helpful. And sometimes they don't seem to be working for us. And those are the ones that are potentially possible to look at a couple times. So once you've looked at it, what do you what how do you replace Mm -hmm. it with a better one with a more with a more appropriate or empowering one? Mm -hmm. 
it's really up to you. And I typically I, I start with, well, how would you like to feel? Because if you have a thought, okay, for example, what, what's a thought that you have sometimes that you think, yeah, I've got that thought. I'm not, I don't know how to just change it. Um, yeah, well, let's, well, I'll take the same, the same issue around charging money okay. for my work, right? Every, this work is helping the world there. Mm-hmm. We live in a capitalist system that's, that's deeply unfair, Mm-hmm. Um, the more I charge, the more other people have to go out and work. And the more I have, to, I am deeply embedded in this, you know, racist, mm-hmm. ecocidal thing. Why don't I just, you know, give away all my money, live in the woods and just sit in a park bench and have conversations with people like, like I can go there very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And so the, so the thought is you can keep that thought if it works for you. So the idea that you are, that it's so that you, you, you threw a bunch of them all out at once, but the idea that you are complicit with a, um, by charging for your coaching, you're complicit in, in, in a capitalist, uh, uh, economy that you don't respect. Yeah. Is that kind of, is that fair kind of, so when you, when you think that, how does that make you feel? Yeah, it makes me feel um, a little guilty and mm-hmm. a lot out of integrity. Mm. And okay. I'm, not, I'm not willing to give up my nice things either, which makes me mm-hmm. feel even worse. Right? Like, so that's part of the action. So then that's the act. So the feeling perhaps is guilty or out of alignment, out of integrity. And then when you feel that way, you start to like judge yourself and you argue with yourself and you go, well, I'd like my things. And I need, I like hot water and I like staying out of jail. (laughs) That's like, you know, I like, so, but the result is then nothing changes, right? You just stay in that feeling of basically out of alignment, guilty. And do you, do you try, please? Yeah, it it feels very like oscillating. Right. So it's not progress and it's not moving in the other. Like, I don't have the guts to move in the direction of, of sitting those, on the park bench. Yeah. Of those stated feelings. And so I'll make some you know, incremental progress here or there, but there's not the there's not the powerful forward movement. Right. And so it makes sense if you're feeling that way, if you're feeling guilty and out of alignment, that's not the that's not the the um, emotion that fuels making decisions about how to be self-supporting and how to uh, get your work um, uh, funded by people who can pay for it so that you can also give it away as you do on your podcasts all the time throughout the year with a backlog of information. So So the idea of changing that thought, I would say, what feeling would you prefer to have Instead of guilty and out of alignment, I would ask, what feeling would you prefer to have surrounding your business and how you charge for it? Yeah, ease and grace. Ease and grace. Okay. What would you have to think about charging? Because it goes from thought to feeling to action to result. You're choosing ease and grace as the feeling. What thought would support that feeling for you? Um, that this is, this is my gift that I share. Hmm. This is why I'm here. That's why you're here. And how does that feel? Feels good. Mm-hmm. So now, now I've got, now I've got that and the other thought and they're both. <laughs> yeah. And you can have both. You can have both. You can have both. Yeah. And so when you're feel when you think this is the gift that I share, and you feel some grace and you feel some ease. How do, how do you think that makes, how, how would you act? How would you behave and think and work with that thought? Yeah, I think I would, I would stop agonizing over pricing and, and simply either make it real simple or, or follow my heart on an individual basis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What else? What, what what would you not do if you were feeling ease and um, uh, what was the other one? Ease and grace, grace, grace. Yeah. What, I what would you not do? Uh, 
think I would stop like reading a lot of the blogs that I read about the, you know, like my, my left-wing progressive, here's what's wrong with the world blogs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? I would, I would, uh, I'd have to focus more or I'd get to focus more on how can I make a positive difference in my sphere than mm-hmm. feeling the need to be informed about every um, aggression mm-hmm. on the planet. Mm-hmm. And part, so of I me, think- part of me likes that. And part of me feels like, well, that's me, you know, ducking out, having the privilege to, to not be in this fight. Mm-hmm. And again, there's a conflict. Yeah, well, it's certainly, certainly you, I, I don't think you'll ever escape conflict, but you might choose that when you have this thought, this is my gift to share. And you feel with that thought, we never only have one thought on this issue, obviously. But when you're thinking, I have a gift to share, this gift to share, I feel some ease and grace. I choose to maybe cut back on some of the um, reading and some of the studying that distracts my attention perhaps from, from the giving that gift. And mm. so your result is you get busy giving the gift mm. and sharing that gift. And you, so this is the, so I don't know if this is exactly the area that you are stuck in at all, but uh-huh. this is the sort of thing it's, you don't get rid of a thought, but you start to create some space and you start to look at some other thoughts that might be more in alignment with you doing what you want to do. Now, maybe you actually want to go the full anarchist, you know, um, maybe, maybe this isn't the gift you want to share. Maybe there's another gift you want to share that's a little bit more political and a little bit more um, uh, on those, those blogs, you know, more, more in tune with those. But if this is the gift you want to share, Perhaps this it needs some constraint and it needs some boundaries that allows you to mm. um, to focus on it. I think we all get pulled in a million different directions. Mm. Gotcha. All right, this is, this has been really helpful personally. So thank you. thank you for the for the free coaching. <laughs> anytime, uh, anytime. And I think it, I hope it gives it gives listeners a sense of what the process is and the, mm-hmm. the really uh, beautifully curious and non-judgmental way that uh, that you approach um, the, this inquiry. So tell people one more time where they can find you if, so they, the, if they yeah. want to do this. Easy to find me uh, through the podcast, Veg Your Best, V-E-D-G-E, Veg Your Best. Um, that's on all the podcast platforms. I also have an Instagram, Veg Your Best, and a Facebook, Veg Your Best. And I'm available through Michelle Olander Coaching. That's harder to spell. There's no A's. There's no double L's. <laughs> but <laughs> maybe maybe Howard will put the link in the in the show notes. But um, Veg Your Best is super easy for me to find. And then in the show notes, there are the links for everything. Awesome. Awesome. Well, this has been such a delightful conversation. It's been so long in coming. Thank you, Howard. I've been a big fan for a long, long time. Your work you do is super valuable. So I hope whatever thought you decide to uh, concentrate on developing, that it gets your gift to more people. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for all you do and for taking the time today. Pleasure. Take care. Thanks. Bye-bye. All right, all right, all right. You can check out Michelle's website, vegyourbest.com, and find out more about her services. You can also check out the show notes for today's episode, which is plantyourself.com slash 464 for links to everything we talked about and uh, a description. So let's see what's going on in movement news. Uh, Man, I had a tough workout yesterday. I'm doing this uh, eight-week online course, and every Monday we do the same workout. Every Tuesday we do a different same workout. And I was expecting to be stronger, but I was a lot weaker. We were doing um, cleans and push presses, if you know what that is, with kettlebells. And I just was not hitting my numbers. So uh, I got a nice talking to from from the coach saying, you know, the goal, of course, is to improve and get stronger and get better, but you can't um, expect to do it every single time. If you had a bad night's sleep or you're not feeling that well or you ate a crappy day yesterday, something like that. So uh, it was good to um, 
to be reminded about things outside of my control and humility and recognizing that the, the goal here is to try as hard as I can within within reason to be smart about it, but to um, to not get too caught up on results, which is something, of course, that I tell my coaching clients all the time. But, you know, those of us who uh, who teach all the time often need to learn those very same lessons. In garden news, uh, we got a bunch of plants, um, some uh, herbs and perennials uh, over the weekend that are slowly going into the garden. We've been doing a lot of mulching and weeding and things are starting to look kind of pretty. So it's uh, it's that time where all the efforts are starting to pay off in terms of, you know, beauty right now and promise of future bounty. All right. Time for thanks. Thanks to Will Ridenauer for allowing me to use his beautiful song, Sabali Dawn, The Dance of Peace. You can find more of Will's music at his website, willridenauer.com. And of course, thanks to all of you Plant Yourself podcast patrons. Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Brittany Porter, Dominic Maurer, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatterley, Mary Jane Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Behrens, Tina Scharf, Tina Ahern, Jen Filkonofsky, David Bizek, The Mysterious, Michelle X, Elspeth Feldman, Leah Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Landry, Josina, Sarah Durkis, Kelly Cameron, Janet Selby, Claire Adams, Tom Franza, Jeanette Benham, Gila Sert, David Donahue, Blair Cyber, Dorona Vizov, Gio and Carolyn Argentati, Jody Friesner, Misha Rosen, Michael Warbeck, Aviva Lael, Alicia Lemus, Val Lineman, Nick Harper, Bandana Chawley, Molly Levine, The Inscrutable, Harry R., Susan Laverty, The Panda Vegan, Craig Kovic, Adam Scharf, Karen Burry, Heather Morgan, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Teresa Copel, Julian Watkins, Breed O'Connell, Sharon Hirschman, Linda Ayad, Holm Hedegaard, Isa Tuzinwa, Connie Hainline, Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis, Heather O'Connor, Carolyn Jensen, Sherry Olakoski of Plant Power for Health, Karen Smith, Scott Morani, Karen and Joe Crabtree, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell, Kevin McCauley, Elizabeth Rothschild, Ann Jesse, Cheryl Dwyer, Jenny Hazelton, Peter W. Evans, Dennis Bird, Darby Kelly, Lori Fanny, Linnea Lundquist, Emily Iconelli, Levy Wallach, Rosamund McAtee, Dan Picorni, Stephen Leenan, Patty DiMartino, Mike and Donna Kartz, Deanne Bishop, Bill Burry Elf, Marjorie Lewis, Trisha Adams, Nancy Sheldon, Lindsay Bayshore, Gunmarit Hagen, Tracy Gulledge, Laura Heaton, Meg from Mama Says, Stacey Stokes, Ben Savage, Michael Kay, David Hughes, Connie Rogers, Claire England, Sally Robertson, Paranganchi. Amy Daly, Brian Tourville, Mark Jeffrey Johnson, Josie Dempsey, Karen Schmidt, Pamela Hayden, Emily Perryman, Allison Corbett, Richard Stone, Lauren Vaught of Edible Musings, Aaron Hasty, Sean Owen, Sagar Nayak, Erica Piedra, Danielle Roberts, Michael Lushton, Sarah Johnson, Catherine Floyd, for your generous support of the podcast. That's it for now. As always, be well, my friends.